Hi, I'm Beth Fuller, and you're listening to the Food Adventures Podcast. I know the world can feel intimidating or scary at times, but I'm here to tell you it doesn't have to be. Through the lens of food, we can learn so much about one another, celebrate our differences, and maybe eat some tasty food along the way. Are you ready to do this? I know I am. So let's go on a food adventure together right now. Hey everyone, you're listening to the Food Adventures Podcast. I'm your host, Beth Fuller, and this is episode 10. We're talking about beer today. We're talking about fermentation. We're talking to some pretty cool dudes who know a lot about it. So before we get started, put down those pens and pencils. Don't take notes. I took notes. Go to my website for all the information, elizabethrfuller.com. If you want to be on the podcast, if you have questions for me about the podcast, send them to let's go on a food adventure at gmail.com. And if you want to work together, well, that's a great way to support the podcast. I'm a food and product photographer professionally, uh, as well as many other things. But shoot me an email, same email address is fine, or go to my website and check out my portfolio. All right, let's just get started. Oh, and let's not forget about Instagram. Go on food adventures. I want to see them. Tag me. Let's go on a food adventure on Instagram. All right, now let's seriously get started. Beer. Beer. Glorious beer. I like beer. I am very particular about my beer, but I like it. And I especially like beer on vacation with my toes in the sand or when uh, it's super warm out. To me, winter and beer don't necessarily go hand in hand, but... I do drink beer in the winter too. Don't get me wrong. I like beer. I do. I like going to breweries. I like going and doing beer tastings. When I go to the breweries and do the tastings, I buy a shit ton of it and then we have it in our home. So let's talk about beer. So in pre-COVID times, uh, we would go to the Todd, my husband, the Todd and I, and friends would go to breweries on the weekends. We bring card games. We bring snacks make a day of it, day drink, it's fun. And one time we're up at this brewery. It's one of our favorites. It's in Maine. It's right outside of Portland, just north of Portland in um, Freeport. And it's called the Maine Beer Company. They make incredibly delicious beers. They're clean. They're just tasty. And they are super into ethos and ethics and giving back and being very mindful of their um, footprint, their carbon footprint in the world. So if you live in the area or you're coming to the area, I highly recommend going up to their tap room. It's gotten so much bigger and they have amazing pizza. So if that doesn't sell you on it, I don't know. Oh, and they're dog friendly. So in the outside, they have a nice big outside patio. So we brought Oliver, our fluffy golden retriever, And we went up there for a weekend, stayed in the area, did a bunch of stuff. But one of the things we did do was go to the brewery with Ollie. And so we're outside. We get a ton of beer. We're sitting there. We got a pizza. It was delicious. And there's tons of kids and families. And just it was just a fun afternoon, right? So we're sitting there. And Oliver is super duper friendly. Like he's 90 pounds of pure love and fluff and he's also I mean at this point he was like a year and a half so he's he's only two now so he's still like super puppy right and so he's like rolling around eating bark mulch being adorable and this little girl comes up she must have been like seven or eight years old and she comes up to us and she's like can I pet him we're like oh yeah sure so she gets right up in his face and she's like I love you so much and you know he's a handball so he's eating it up and like He is licking her face. They're rolling around together now in the bark mulch. She's eating the bark mulch. No, I'm kidding. She didn't eat the bark mulch. But then, like, she runs back over to her family. And the mom kind of looks at us. And we're like, oh, no, it's okay. It's okay. She's like, okay. And then she comes back again with, like, a friend or a cousin or I don't know. So then she's, like, petting him, loving on him. Fine. Whatever. I'm drinking my beer. Like, I don't – I really don't care. So cut to – she did it maybe three or four times. So then she's over with us. And the mom's like, okay, we're going to go now. And she's like, I don't want to. He's so cute. I can't leave. And she she looks down at her daughter and she goes, pull it together, Tessa. (laughs) Daughter 
looks up at us and she's like, ugh. And like drags herself away. So now every time Todd and I are in any situation, we'll look at each other. I mean, me and my, you met Marissa already. So me and Marissa do it too. We'll look at each other and be like, pull it together, Tessa. So everybody pull it together, Tessa. Let's answer some listener questions. Okay. Megan from Instagram asks, I just bought some beer. It's warm. Do you have any tips for chilling it quickly? been in the situation Megan let's do it so here's a fun fact for all of you out there listening for 13 years I was a bartender I bartended all across the great America country from New Hampshire to uh, LA San Diego back up here in the Northeast Boston Cambridge and I have a lot of experience in chilling beer quickly because there are many times that we would run out, we didn't stock it right, or we guessed wrong of what the most popular beer of the night was gonna be, and then we needed to chill it super quick. So what you do, you're gonna get a thing of ice, you're gonna put some water in there, and you're gonna put salt. So the reason you're putting salt in is because the salt is going to help melt the ice, and then in turn, cool the water quicker, and you're gonna plunge the beer in and it should cool it down quicker than if it was just regular water and ice. So that's what I would do. It works really fast. I mean, probably within 15 minutes or so, it should be cold enough that you can chug that first one and then once you're done that one, the other ones will be even colder. So that's that's what I would do. Oh, and a PSA, don't put it in your freezer. Here's why. It's not going to cool quick enough and you're going to forget it. And then you're going to have exploded beer in your freezer. I know this from past experience. So don't, Megan, don't put it in your freezer. Okay. Our next question comes from Chris on Facebook. He writes, I recently went to a brewery and picked up some beer that I want to store and drink on a special occasion. What's the best way to store it? Oh, I made this mistake many times. So let's learn from me. All right, I have to say the obvious. Don't store it. Drink it. Enjoy it with friends and family after you can post-COVID. Because there's always going to be more amazing things that you want to drink. And I would just drink it now. And I view beer, wine, alcohol as something that needs to be shared and shared. And to me, the best way to drink anything is with someone you love and care about and you have a great conversation with them and you share a couple of beverages. So open that bottle of Pappy, drink those expensive beers. Don't waste time because the most precious thing that is not going to last forever is the people you love and the time you get to spend with them. So drink it while you can. But anyway, you're going to store it. All right, let's store it. So I believe, and I'm going to have to fact check myself on this, but I think the optimal temperature to store beer is between 45 and 55 degrees Fahrenheit. And if it's a bottle, you need to make sure that it's upright. Um, It needs to be in a cool, dry place that isn't freezing. So that's what I would, if you are a thousand percent going to store it, what I would do. But, 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 but when it's safe to do so, crack those open and drink them with the people you love because you, you just need to. So, and I would give anything, anything to do that with a stranger, like just to be in a bar sitting next to someone drinking a great cocktail or beer, a glass of wine, and just strike up an amazing conversation with a stranger. That would be freaking awesome right now and something I would never take for granted again. So drink them. Drink them, Chris. Drink them. All right. Our next question comes from Deb from Instagram. I wonder if it's Deborah. Deborah reminds me of Dexter. Okay, sorry. Deb from Instagram says, I know people pair beer with savory food, but what about sweet? Do you have any recommendations? All right. So I think we need to start with maybe the tasting notes of the categories of beer. 
And then from there, you can kind of dovetail off that and maybe pick a dessert that works with whatever flavor you're trying to pair it with. So for example, Pilsners tend to have a lighter, and this is, let me just say this, a very generalized umbrella of about of the beers and what I'm going to just mention. So in, in general, in Pilsners tend to have a lighter, kind of more malt forward champagne-like profile. And so that would work well with any like malty nut forward, like milk chocolatey things. So think like malted milk and hazelnut and milk chocolate or something that like an almond and milk chocolate, maybe like something like that might work. Okay. Lagers and light ales. Those are very, can be not very, but commonly like more citrusy. So maybe you pick something that has a lot of citrus notes. Maybe it's like a lemon meringue kind of thing or a grapefruit citrusy lemon limey thing. You know what I mean? Like key lime pie maybe or something that's citrusy I think would go well with that. But I'm sure you can also pair chocolate with it. Um, But it is more of like a fruit flavor. And there are chocolates that are kind of citrusy and fruity, um, maybe more of a dark chocolate might work well with that. Okay. The wheat beers and the Hefeweizens. Those are, those can be kind of wacky with flavors. Some people say they have like hints of clove or banana or even bubble gum. So maybe with that, you do something like white chocolate because in like maybe a little bit of berry or something like that. But like white chocolate's just, I'm not a full disclosure, a massive fan of white chocolate, but I will eat it if it's in front of me. It's just not my favorite chocolate. Um, I'm more of like a dark chocolate kind of gal, but there isn't a chocolate I'm not willing to eat. So if you put it in front of me, it will be gone. So I would do like maybe like a white chocolatey because it's such a basic, just creamy note. You know what I mean? Um, Or maybe like a banana frosters kind of thing. Brown ales and box. These are, again, a little more malt forward. They're like that caramely, caramely, toffee kind of note. So sticky toffee pudding. Hello, how you doing? That's like one of my favorite warm desserts on the planet. Um, maybe some kind of caramelly flan or chocolate and caramel and toffee bite brownies, you know? Okay, stouts. Stouts are like big, bold, uh, some are chocolatey. So I would do something like dark chocolate with a stout or just like, or a dark and milk chocolatey kind of dessert with a stout. Um, But bitter dark chocolate would definitely probably stand up to this beer. So that would be delicious. Um, with maybe like a chocolate flourless cake. Ooh, I love those. And like a berry sauce with it. I know it's super basic, but they're really yummy. Um, yeah. Does this help? I hope it helps. I'm wicked hungry. Okay. I can't answer all these beer questions. I think we need to bring on some experts. These guys. Yep. You heard that right. We have more than one expert today are all working for an incredible brewery in my home state of New Hampshire. Live free or die, baby. They literally started this out of the back of their car in 2012. Now they've grown it to an incredible tap room with very tasty food and lots and lots of amazing beer. So without further ado, I want you to sit back Grab a beer with me, and let's talk to the guys from 603 Brewery. Hey, everybody. How's it going? How you doing? Good. Good. All right. So uh, just so we don't confuse the audience, there's four of us on this, as I've mentioned before in the intro to these guys hopping on. So if you guys want to go around the room, (laughs) just give a little introduction of who you are and what you do. Sure. Um, I'll start. My name is Dan Leonard, and I'm one of the co-founders of the 603 Brewery in Londonderry, New Hampshire. 
I'm Doug Pominville, head brewer for 603 Brewery in Londonderry. And I'm PJ Lajeunesse, director of sales for 603 Brewery in Londonderry, New Hampshire. Woo woo. So everyone's in Londonderry. So we established that. That's awesome. Great. I didn't expect you to be anywhere else. So very cool. Um, now, I think we need to kind of start at the beginning. And I know you guys just opened an amazing new beer hall in 2019. Am I right with that, Dan? Yes. Okay. But we need to go way back. Let's go yep. back to 2012. Is that when this whole thing came alive and the yeah, idea? I'll, I'll, I'll give you the give you the, the, the yeah. rundown quickly. So myself, uh, my business partner, Jeff, and his wife, Tamsin, um, we were all students, engineering students at UMass Dartmouth. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's where we met and became very good and close friends. Um, we spent a lot of time in New Hampshire in college, you know, going up for skiing and going up to the lake and really enjoying the culture there. Um, and we all knew we kind of wanted to relocate there. And so we did over time. And then um, we all kind of went our separate ways career wise. But Jeff in particular was traveling to China a lot for work and he absolutely hated it. Um, mm-hmm. And I was, I had been a home brewer since college and I had a background in, I was managing water treatment and wastewater treatment facilities for municipalities. So I had, you know, I have a strong science and uh, chemistry background and, you know, large scale production background. Um, and Jeff's got a great business sense. And we just kind of put our heads together and said, you know, we had that entrepreneurial spirit and said, Let, let's give this a shot. It became a nights and weekends thing right off the bat, only doing 15 gallons of beer at a time. Wow. Um, and then we'd get together on Sundays and we'd bottle and label all of it. And, and then, drink it. Yeah, sure. <laughs> well, uh-huh. no, th- this, this we sold. So okay, okay. We, we started going out, you know, he would just jam it in his car and on nights and weekends when I'm, I'm sitting there brewing in, in the brewery, he was out there selling it. And um, it was proof of concept. People really connected to it quickly. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we just started kind of in, investing more and more into it. And within a year, we moved our location, kind of started a, with a larger system and uh, just started to aggressively try to build the company from that point. Wow, that's incredible. And for everyone who doesn't know who's not from New Hampshire or New England, 603 is the only area code in New Hampshire. So it's unique that even though as the state has grown and like populated, we're still, you know, live free or die, 603. It is very much a scrappy, amazing state to be from in the best way possible, I think. Being yeah, from. and six oh three is it's 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 funny. Yeah, it's a number, and if you're not if you're from outside the area, it it, it you scratch your head a little bit. But um, you know, when when you're from here and you're a New Hampshire person and you love New Hampshire, you realize six oh three is essentially just you know you're, you're representing your state. You you know you really yeah. enjoy it. That, that number means a lot to people. It gets used in a lot of different uh, ways around the state. It and does. Honestly, we could not believe that the name was available when we went to go register it. <laughs> Like it was unbelievable that nobody had had taken that name because it was like the most obvious name you could do. And it, uh, yeah, we were able to do it. We got it. We loved it. And, um, yeah, it certainly helped the brand. Uh, oh, for re- sure. I really, mean, it's you know, a bold get, get that statement, first right? Like yeah. it's a bold statement to be like, this is 603 beer. Like you're representing now the entire state yeah. of New Hampshire is on your show. No pressure. No pressure, man. No pressure. That's awesome. Doug, how did you get started in brewing? Because I know you've been doing this for a long time and your roots go back to San Diego, which mm-hmm. has been a huge boom in the craft beer industry in the 2000s. Uh, I kind of fell into it professionally. Literally. Uh, but it fell, started back uh, when I was a kid. My dad would go to Jasper's, the local homebrew shop, grab ingredients, and I'd help him homebrew as a kid. So that's kind of my first introduction into brewing. Uh, when I moved to San Diego about a little over nine years ago, um, started working in the craft beer industry, working for a popular beer bar, Toronado, learning as much as I could about beer, and then started homebrewing again uh, with some friends. Got a job at Ballast Point, uh, its original location, Homebrew Mart. Uh, so I could basically learn as much as I want, uh, or as I can, as a paid internship learning basically from the guys who were the grandfathers of craft beer in San Diego, taught everyone how to brew. Um, basically where I gained my knowledge, but then also leaning on my background of restaurants um, for flavor profiling. Then also my education background uh, in biochemistry for the science aspect. And it kind of was like a lovely marriage of the two put together. 
so I kind of hit the ground running, brewing as much as possible at home, as well as brewing at Ballast Point for them, doing their specialty brews, um, all the one-offs. Um, I ended up creating a pale ale for them. It was a employee-only homebrew competition. I won that. It's awesome. That got some legs. Then later on, a couple of years later, GABF, it gets a gold medal. At, uh, gets a gold medal, which then kind of skyrocketed me uh, as far as brewing at Ballast Point. So then they started leading on me more for more recipe development, R and D, and uh, specialty beers. That's awesome, man. I'm so proud of you. As a you. friend of yours for a long time, I'm. <laughs> it's so awesome to see you go in this direction and all you've accomplished. PJ, how did you get started in this, in sales, and why beer? And why not, <laughs> right. right? I love beer. So full disclosure, I would love to do sales for beer too. Don't get me wrong, but just saying. My love for beer started at a really, really early age, uh, just with joking around. My dad's like, oh, open this beer, you know, go to the fridge and get me a beer and open it. And then, you know, I'd sneak sips walking over to him. So, I, I mean, from a young, young age. So I always loved the taste of it to the point where he would find empty bottles in the, in the bathroom trash can upstairs in the house. Um, so he had to start keeping O'Doul's on hand. Uh, then he'd give me like one on like the 4th of July or like a special occasion. Um, he's like, this is what you can have. So I, I didn't oh know any better. I just thought it was cool. And then growing up, my dad was always uh, was very interested in, in trying different beers. And this was back when the import days. So he's like, we'd go to the grocery store on a Friday, Saturday night. And he'd say, what am I drinking tonight? So I'd pick out a six pack or a 12 pack. And I was all about image at that point. So I'm like, what's the coolest packaging? So I can remember like picking up like uh, Tequiza, Red Dog, St. Pauli Girl, like just cool things that I saw that labels stuck out at me. Uh, then as I grew, so I always had the, I always loved like the, the whole concept of beer. And then later on, I got into managing bands and playing in bands. So I was always surrounded in venues with, you know, you know, whether it's show sponsored by a, a brewery or something like that, or, you know, I was 16 years old in the, in the VIP room and there's this free beer and you're like, all right, well, let's, mm -hmm. we'll sneak some beers and kind of try different things. And then I got into, uh, you know, uh, into working in restaurants and got really into buying beer, uh, managing restaurants. So I was always trying to find, and this is right, you know, probably nine years ago, 10 years ago now where craft beer is really starting to make an impact. So I was kind of like, well, let's, what, what's the cool new stuff that we can try? Like everybody's got, you know, the same things on tap everywhere you go. Uh, so through managing that bar, I started uh, meeting a lot of uh, wholesaler representatives and different brewery supplier representatives and kind of talking to them. And I became super infatuated with that, that kind of aspect in that business. And, you know, there was craft beer stores opening up throughout the state at that point. So that's where I would go and kind of spend my money and try to find the new things to put on tap at the restaurant. And then just by talking and working with the wholesalers and suppliers, I was like, this is kind of an avenue where I see myself long-term. I don't see myself standing behind a bar when I'm mm -hmm. 55 years old. It's just not what the path I wanted to go. So I got into beer, worked for a brewery out of Maine for a couple of years, and then got a phone call at 9.30 on a Friday night from a couple of friends of mine that were working for our wholesaler that 603 uh, is with in New Hampshire saying, you know, hey, I think 603 is looking for somebody for sales. Would you talk to him? I said, absolutely. No, I mean, I have a whole New Hampshire sleeve tattoo. So I was like, <laughs> it's only fitting to work for a brewery that represents the state when I'm rocking it on my arm. For sure. Uh, and then met with Jeff, uh, you know, the next week, uh, you know, a, an interview that should have probably gone an hour, went three and a half, four hours. Mm -hmm. And I was just kind of like, all right, this feels like the right place. 603 was really uh, developing the EO9 platform at that time. So I saw their innovation. Obviously I knew their classics. I was pouring uh, 603s at my old bar. So I was familiar with the, with the beers and the style. Uh, and then obviously uh, meeting Jeff and Dan and Tamsin. And I just really, uh, I clicked their, their business concept and their personalities and I really meshed well together. And I, it, you know, it just kind of fell right into place. That's awesome. So, and when it works, it works. You just know when you get into Absolutely. that pocket, and you get a good team together and you just, you just know in your heart, this is it. Yeah. So yeah. now I know, and Doug, this might be for you being the head brewmaster, that all beers are not made equally and that different beers take different times. And I read, fact check me on this, that lagers take the longest amount of time to make, which blows my mind because it seems like the cleanest, simplest beer to drink. So what the what, man? So that answer is correct. And it's also wrong. Ooh. It's yes and no. <laughs> uh, <laughs> beers are broken into two different categories, ales and lagers. And that's based on the yeast. Uh, ales are top fermenting, ferment a little bit warmer. 
lagers are bottom fermenting and ferment colder. So since they're fermented colder, they're going to take a lot longer to ferment. On average, you could take anywhere from 21 or three weeks to six weeks for a lager to brew, where an ale you can get done in 10 days to up to four weeks. And you'd um, think that the lagers should cost more money because they're oh, sitting yeah. in those tanks long, but they're, they don't. Like, they're almost no. cheaper. That's bullshit. Because all of the macro beers are all lagers. It's what people are used to, yeah. driving that price down. Uh, then the exception to that rule is there's uh, wild fermentation. Mm-hmm. Um, a traditional lambic beer, uh, a young lambic is going to be a year old. And then a goose is uh, a blend of one, two, and three-year-old beer. So that's when it starts to get more champagne-like. Uh, so usually it's spontaneously fermented. So it's wild yeast and bacteria that they gather in the air. Uh, then they will ferment that for a minimum of one year up to three years. Oh my God, to make space for that is insane. <laughs> like you only have limited amount of space in your brew tanks and a limited amount of brew tanks to use that then one needs to sit for, oh my goodness, people, we need to pay more money for this beer. Those will traditionally be done in wood. Right. We'll do them in uh, wooden barrels usually for those kinds. Oh, okay. So like uh, wine, whiskey, kind of, yeah. Okay. But still it takes a land in your warehouse. I mean, space is money. What Mm -hmm. the what? Okay. So we need to talk about funky flavors because there is this huge trend, I I think, in all of these incredible funky flavors, like them or not, take them or leave them. I got to say, when do you add in these flavors? Because you have a coffee cake beer, right? And like another one's like the, the sour cherry lime pie, key lime pie. How do you make the flavor? Um, it's I'll, I'll just I'll touch on flavors real quick uh, and then let Doug dive in a little more technical. What's kind of neat about beer today compared to beer, what, even eight, 10 years ago, is you basically had a really narrow path that your flavor profiles were on. But all the borders and limits have really just been blown away. Everything's been thrown out. Nobody cares about, you know, uh, traditional styles unless you're, you know, aiming to really specifically brew a traditional beer for that particular reason. Um, but the really exciting part about the fact that we can make a beer taste like a coffee cake now, or that we can, you know, Doug will just talk about uh, one of the first beers he's just cranked out, which is the um, key to my tart, yeah. which is, yeah, cherry and key limes. Mm-hmm. Um, but the most exciting thing about it is it has opened up the beer market and beer world to really just about any consumer. At this point, if you walk in and you tell me you don't like beer, I'm going to consider it a personal challenge to find something that is going to hit that spot for you. And, and that's what's really excited about, you know, these wild flavor profiles that we can produce now. That's awesome. So it's, yeah, kind of fun these days in craft beer where there's a uh, German purity laws, Rygos to boot, I always mess that up, where you're only supposed to use water, hops, barley, and yeast. Those four ingredients, that's it. That's the only way you're supposed to make beer. But we're Americans. We do whatever we want. We think outside the box. Uh, so now we can oh go and try to decide like, all right, you want to make it taste like coffee cake. So we start with the grain. We start using different malts, but we'll have some chocolate malts, maybe some caramel malts and kind of layer those in and some biscuit to get those foundation flavors. Um, we can also add when we're mashing those grains in, you can also add certain flavors to it too. You can add some cocoa nibs, some raw chocolate, dry more chocolate through. You can add some cinnamon into the end of the boil for a whirlpool. Um, Depending on what the ingredients are, I like to always wait until fermentation is done. Uh, I call that the cold side. Um, that way we can regulate the flavor. The beer is completely finished. You know what the beer mm-hmm. tastes like. Now you can start adding those ingredients into it. So you're not guessing what it's going to taste like, depending on how the yeast uh, adjusted the beer or the flavor profile. Do you pull like a little bit out? Because I do a lot of R&D with recipe testing for food bloggers and stuff. So like, do you, you take some out and then like you start adding little bits. So it's not like you're just throwing caution to the wind and being like, let's just throw 20 pounds of cinnamon in this bad ride and see. In the past, I've definitely done that before where say taking a small little half gallon growler, you put little tiny amounts in it. You put it in the cold box and leave it there for a couple of days and see how much it is just to get a general idea. Mm-hmm. Best is to always go less than you think it should be. So you're going to be dosing the beer with those spices and ingredients. Go light, 
then you can taste it and decide, does it need a little bit more cinnamon? Does it need more clove? Does it need more vanilla? Um, and so forth. As mm -hmm. far as that sour beer, um, I like to have the sugar fermented out of it. So we actually injected uh, fruit puree into the beer while it was fermenting. So then it would eat all of that simple fructose and sugars and just leave all of the flavor behind. And then you have a nice, clean, bright beer. Wow, that's wicked interesting. Is there any of them that you guys made that needed to go that were like, these are the worst fails in the history of beer making that you've made? As far as flavor and spice, not really, because you already have an idea of what you want it to mm. taste like. And you, like I said, just go really subtle. Start small and you can always add more. You can't take it out. Uh, in the past, at other breweries I've worked at, it's not necessarily that we added stuff to it to didn't like and didn't want to dump it. It's maybe an issue happened in fermentation. Your glycol went off, beer got hot. So it produced undesirable flavors. And that's when I've had to dump the beer in the past. So um, sad. It's got to be a very sad day when you're dumping that much beer. It's sad, but it's better to know cut yeah. your losses Then sell it. Right. And bottle it and be like, whoopsie. <laughs> that would be way worse in my opinion, especially from a sales standpoint too. Um, Luckily I had a lot of experience at Ballast Point uh, spicing and flavoring beer. That's so exciting. <laughs> what are some of the wildest ingredients that you guys have worked with? Um, at 603, we've used a lot. Of, we've used lots of different fruits, uh, local coffee roasters. We've used a local tea maker, local honey. Um, trying to think, mm. you know, yeah, we've we've done all, all sorts of kind of fun stuff like that. And I, you know, I bet I bet Doug has quite a list that he can probably rattle off here. Uh if you name it, I've probably thrown in beer at one point, as it's, except for meat. Uh, I try to stay away from that, but I've done oysters and beers for sure. Um, pretty much any spice, any fruit I've used, uh, cereal, um, cookies, uh, glitter. What did the glitter um, do? It, uh, it was a food grade glitter. Okay. So put it in the beer, and then your beer would actually shimmer in the light. Oh, so that's more of like an aesthetic thing, not a taste thing. Yeah. And that one was a fun one, uh, working with the brewmaster of Carl Strauss, who, you know, mm -hmm. traditional style beers, and I'm doing traditional style beers. We said, hey, let's do something fun. So the young kids are doing all these pastry stouts, throwing as much stuff as they want into it. His favorite beer was Count Chocula, so we put Count Chocula in it, coffee. That's awesome. Uh, cocoa nibs, vanilla, lactose. Lactose is huge, and, and it makes such oh, yeah. a big difference in the way the beer drinks. I actually really like lactose-style beers. Ooh. I don't know what they're called. Is that what they're called? It, yep. Okay, great. Great. It adds nice body and to it and sweetness without, because it's unfermentable, so it's a nice way to add sweetness to a beer. Yeah, and it has like a more round mouth feel to it when you're drinking it if I'm correct in my tasting profiles. <laughs> oh, and yeah. other weird ingredients, uh, Szechuan peppercorns so good. and Sancho buttons. Both of those have a numbing effect. Mm -hmm. So it was kind of cool. We also put uh, ghost peppers in it. Ooh. So because those numbing effects were in there, you would get the heat at first from the pepper, but then your mouth would go numb that you couldn't taste the capsaicin from the ghost peppers anymore. Smart, yeah, and uh, Szechuan peppercorn, it dissipates so quickly afterwards that like the numbing effect it's instant and then it just goes away kind of like a serrano i gotta say doug brought one of a really cool beer when he moved out here that we got to try that was a uh was it doug correct me wrong the dill pickle was it a pickle goza barrel aged yeah that was unbelievably good and i'm a sucker for pickle so i mean but it was it was a crazy concept but i mean the beer tasted you know like just like pickles and you would you age it in whiskey barrels doug yep that that it thing, was uh, that was interesting Cucumber goza, uh, so it was soured to give it the lemony effect and tartness. Uh, added sea salt, black and white peppercorns. Uh, then we used this very particular hop, uh, sriracha's, which gives a dill flavor. So no dill was added to the beer, but it had a nice dill flavor just from the hops. Then added cucumber, making it taste like a pickle. Then we aged it in uh, dickle rye whiskey barrels, so it was kind of like a pickleback. It's re it's really amazing what um, what hops have done and what they've brought to the brewing industry because very much like um, the wine industry with grapes and you know terroir and that really matters you know the climate that they're grown in 
we're now sourcing hops from all over the world that have these really unique flavor profiles to them. I mean, your West Coast American hops, that's where you're getting those big tropical juicy stuff. But then you have these great unique hops coming out of New Zealand. And then you still have Calaxis coming out of Europe. Um, but the and, and now hop breeders are starting to breed different hops together and actually create proprietary blends and whatnot. But um, what they're able to do now with hops, and now that we know there's been so much more research on how to actually use them timing wise, you know, where you're going to get the biggest aromatics and flavor profiles out of it. It's opened up a whole nother world for IPAs, especially, but just, just beer in general. Um, That's the hop, incredible. The, yeah. The hop world is, is, is amazing. And it's really helped transform how delicious beer is today. That's incredible. And hey, that sounds like the sky's the limit. And yeah. why not go for it, you know? So let's dive into some listener questions. Andre in New Hampshire asks, is there any popular ingredients you don't want to brew with? Yes. Rocky Mountain oysters. <laughs> <laughs> Which there are beers out there that brewers have done that. <laughs> I, I probably would have said glitter, but uh, we've already, <laughs> we've already jumped that one, so... Yeah. yeah, I can't. Yeah, like raw chicken. No, I don't think no raw meat. chicken would no be a good idea. Yeah, I, I can't think of anything that, you know, I mean, it, it, everything I think has the right application. If, as long as, you know, it's like, if it makes sense, if it's, if, you know, depending on how it's utilized, I think kind of the sky's the limit. I mean, don't be scared out about anything. It's just figure out how to incorporate something to get your final idea you know, correctly portrayed in the glass. We we have developed a saying in this in this industry, being in it for nine years now, is never say never. It's true. That's life in general. <clears throat> um, all right, Olivia from Instagram asks, "What do you see being the most popular beer trend in 2021?" DJ, you should take this one, but we're probably. Oh boy, yeah. Um, uh. I mean, I, I think, you know, IPAs have been, uh, have been longstanding um, uh, with, their, with their climb and in, in, in popularity. I don't see those fizzling out necessarily. I think uh, loggers for breweries have made a strong comeback uh, for their own tasting rooms uh, and, and for, you know, for people really starting to kind of connect with those. I think the market, at least uh, in the Northeast where we are, uh, is a little bit... Uh, the market's not as friendly for for logger for craft loggers as it maybe might be in other parts of the country. But with that said, there's still some really popular breweries like Jack's Abbey, Von Trapp, that really specialize in, in, in loggers and kind of make it their niche that do a great job and are very, very successful with it. Um, but as you know, I think the whole milkshake IPA thing, the milkshake sours thing, I think big pastry stouts, I think the the only trend that I see is just seeing how much flavor you can put in a beer, whether it's from um you know, adjuncts or from changing different, you know, hops, utilizing their flavor profiles, different malts, like Doug has touched on using chocolate malts, rye malts, different things like that. Uh, but it's it, the trend. I mean, it's all over the place. And now with the introduction of things like hard seltzers and these ready to drink cocktails the last couple of years, it's kind of added a whole different twist. And can we start to mix some of those concepts with beer? I mean, we've already seen barrel aged beers where you want that, that, you know, that, spirit characteristic in in with the flavor profile and you know can you know will you start you know is will somebody mix you know spirits and and a, a, a fermented beer at some point who knows i don't know where people are going to go i mean it's the possibilities are literally endless and you know it's it's going to be a really interesting time i think the next it's been a fun ride the past you know 10 12 years with craft beer and i think it's you know it's not going to slow down anytime soon i think it's just going to get more wacky and ridiculous as time goes on and, and more fun. Uh, I mean, wacky and ridiculous to me equal fun. I mean, it's always kind of cool to walk into a bar for myself and say, hey, we have this coming out. And they just look at you like you have nine heads. Like, you put what in there? And they're like, what flavor is this? And you're like, yeah, yeah, just, you know, try it. And then they try it. And they're like, oh, my God, this is incredible. I never would have picked this off on the shelf myself, but it's, I'm glad I tried it. And then and now I kind of like, where can I get more? So. Fair enough. That's awesome. Um, James from Massachusetts asks, is this job as cool as you thought it would be? Uh, yeah, I'd say almost better. Not really expecting it's even the worst day at a brewery is still better than the best day at any other job. Um, you can always have your downs and ups and downs, but at the end of the day, you're just making beer. It's supposed to be fun. It's enjoyable. You get to enjoy your product. You get to see everyone else enjoy your product. It's, it is a pretty cool job. Agreed. Uh, I think beers, I am so glad and I, I think I'm really, really lucky and blessed to have found an industry that I, 
I like so much when you get to work with people that are like-minded and creative and it's, it's every day, you know, some days are a surprise and you get, you know, thrown a curveball for good or for bad. Um, but even when, you know, sometimes I'll say, you know, even in the worst situation, there's nothing else in the world I'd rather be doing. That's awesome. Well, you guys make a good team and being so positive is very, very, very helpful in any industry. Now, Dan, you kind of touched on this one already, but maybe you can mention, if you want to, a couple of companies. But Caroline in New Hampshire asked, "Did you do you try to use local ingredients? If so, what are the local ingredients that you incorporate in your beer?" Yeah, we're, we're always looking to. It's tough because the state doesn't really have a maltster, and they really don't produce any um, hops. New Hampshire actually was a huge hop producer pre-prohibition. So we do kind of have the, you know, the, the geographic environment for it. Um, and I know some guys have tried in the past to get some small hop, hop farms going and they haven't really taken off, but local to New England, I guess, is, is what we try to focus on, especially for specialty ingredients. Um, it's hard to rattle off some of this ones because we've done a lot of one-offs, but um, I would say one of the beers that we really enjoy doing is a, is a beer called Bean and it's a, it's a coffee brown ale. And what we do each time we brew it, we select a single origin coffee. Ooh. And there is a fantastic coffee roaster in Bedford, uh, New Hampshire called Flight. And mm -hmm. we love working with Flight because they have just premium quality stuff. They have uh, these coffee bean flavor profiles coming from very specific regions. And we put all the information on the label, which is, which is neat. Um, but coffee is a world that I think pairs so well with beer and having a great local roaster um like that is is fantastic mm. you'd be amazed at the different flavor profiles you can pull out of a coffee bean you know when you're giving it a uh, like a, a coarse grind um cold brew approach to it mm -hmm. i mean you can actually get like strong fruit profiles out of a coffee bean it's mm -hmm. pretty neat yeah absolutely i'm a huge coffee connoisseur and i like I'm like a nerd like that, that I will pick certain, like I want it to have a biscuity note or a cereal taste. And so I hear- There is one, there was one we tried last year, I think it was called like Amara, Amara Gayu or something like that. I, I got to look it up, mm. but literally it tasted like blueberries and it just it blew my mind that a coffee bean, straight coffee bean could taste. Yeah. Yeah. <sighs> nature, again, nature. But this is a great segue, thank you, Dan, to Billy's question from Vermont. She asks, do you think about food pairings when brewing? And also, how do you pair food with beer? Yes. <laughs> uh, food and beer go so well together. It's such a nice compliment. Um, I like to think of using a flavor bridge, uh, something my mentor at Ballast Point taught to me. So you want to look at a component that's in your beer. So if you've got some sort of caramel flavor, from the malts now you're looking for a food ingredient that has some sort of like maybe it's caramelization or caramel sweetness to it and you kind of want to bridge those together mm -hmm. um, you could also do something complimentary like we had that cherry lime sour you mentioned earlier something very decadent like a flourless cake chocolate cake would go really nice because that sharpness and acidity will cut right through that um, then if you're having something hoppy um, spicy food pairs well with it. it's thai food or maybe a nice fish spicy fish taco because you'll have those hops be able to cut through that capsaicin so sometimes you're looking at how the beer will work with the food or have some sort of interlinking uh ingredient between the two do you put a lot of the tasting profiles on your beer uh we usually will have some sort of uh sell sheet or description for social media mm. for the beer that's awesome because usually, you know, when people think about wine and food pairings, it's the standard red goes with blah, 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 white goes with blah, blah, blah. But there's so many different nuances to so many different bottles of wine. Like Dan, you were saying the terroir and, and everything plays a huge role in it. And when you start drilling down and with beer, people can get a little intimidated with it because they're like, where do I start? And like, what am I actually tasting? Like, for example, with your knuckle puck, am I saying that right? Yeah. <laughs> okay. I think... When I was drinking it, I was getting like, and I could be wrong because, you know, every, it's all subjective, but like notes of pine and grapefruit. And is there like a berry kind of note in there too? Yep. What berry am I tasting? It's, go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> 
I'm not sure what exactly which berry it is. It just kind of it just gives that almost just reminiscent of you know of of a berry characteristic. And that's all the, a derivative from this, the particular hops that are going into that beer. The, mm. that, all those all those notes, that pine, that grapefruit, those berries are all you know. And even when you, and that's the thing when you start to mix these different hop blends, they start to kind of play off each other and give different flavor profiles and kind of accent different 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 things that kind of make each other pop and work well together yeah that, that beer has no actual fruit or anything in it all those no things, all those really are coming from the hops nope yes no grapefruits no. in nope. there i mean it nope. is so great yeah that's all flavors. being derived from the type of hops the combination and the timing and how we actually apply them to the liquid holy shit that's amazing that's usually the uh cascade hops that are in there then you also the berries you might have gotten from the mosaic wow that's crazy. I really thought you were like putting great yeah. or something. Oh my nope. gosh. Um, all right. Gr another great segue. So Mark in, from Instagram wants to know, are there any beers that you think are great to cook with? If so, how do you recommend cooking with them? Uh, I'd say the Winnie or Amber Ale is an amazing beer to pair with and cook with. Uh, the nice rich caramel flavors and maltiness to it. Uh, will be great in a stew. It's great if you're trying to make some like carnitas. Um, maybe if you want to make some sort of stock or I can also use other stuff too. Uh, a nice lager will be good if you want to use it for like a beer batter or if you want to make your own carne asada, it's great for that too. Um, you can use also stouts in like a stock. You can use beer for so much when you're cooking. It's not just wine. And it's not just for mussels. My wife raided my beer, my beer cellar a couple days ago, or a couple weeks ago, rather. And she, and she opens this 2014 bottle I've been saving forever to make it, to put in a barbacoa crock pot. And I just, I go there, I go, I get home and I'm like, what's this beer empty on the, on the counter? And she's like, oh, I put it in the barbacoa. I'm like, oh, this better be good barbacoa. But it, and it was, it was fantastic. It was a nice barrel aged stout that I, you know, and, and you know, <laughs> That was saving forever. And I was like, you know, what's, what's the point? You know, I've been sitting on it for this long. I haven't drank it yet. What am I still doing? Go ahead. And um, Doug mentioned Winnie. He's like, I, one of my favorite things I like to do is uh, I'll, I'll uh, boil brats and sauerkraut in our Winnie. And then kind of, you know, you can take, the, you know, also at the end of it, you can kind of make a beer cheese out of, out of the, uh, the beer that's remaining too. So you can have, you know, boiled, you know, brats and sauerkraut boiled in, in, um, in beer, which I do. I always have uh, beer boiled sauerkraut in my refrigerator at home. It's just a cool kind of side to go with a lot of things. I'll eat it in the morning with the eggs or whatever, but I always use, you know, anything like from an IPA to stouts to, you know, sours to kind of cut, you know, play off that sauerkraut. Um, it's always fun to just kind of experiment. You really can't go do wrong. It's just, you know, wherever you see water, just try beer, you know? Mm -hmm. Fair enough. I love no. that. Kind of the main it's more than chili. Yeah. More for chili. Yeah. 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 Cause people get so hung up on, Beer goes in this, mussels, chili, you know. Yeah. And, but so many things. And I'll link a few recipes on the on the website with the show notes. Um, all right, last listener question, you guys. Mike in Maine would like to know, what is your favorite brewery besides your own? Oh, you pick a favorite oh they all, they all <laughs> lean back for a second. Oh, that's like a child. Yeah. yeah. I, uh, for me, I've always really enjoyed Founders. Um, I like their flavor profiles. I like uh, I like the direction they go with stuff. Um, so Founders has always been a brewery, and we, and we got the opportunity to actually, when we were building this the the beer hall that we moved into in 2019, um, we went out there to visit those guys, and we got to hang out with the founders of Founders and just kind of compare notes, and uh, that was really helpful. So it, it just cemented that that brewery as being kind of my my favorite brewery, um, you know, outside of outside That's of awesome. my own. I, I can't even, I mean, I, I think for, it's, I don't have a one in particular. It's kind of like if I'm, depending on the style, I can say, you know, I really love this, this, you know, Allagash. I'm really into wilds and sours and Allagash being from the Northeast has been so close and approachable and easy and accessible. Mm -hmm. uh, that's just a brewery that I've really appreciated the things that they've done for the main beer community for, you know, introducing a, you know, wild styles into the Northeast, uh, um, sure they don't do a lot of ipas which is trendy but it doesn't it's not necessarily the thing so it's kind of tough like if i'm if i'm looking at you know if i'm looking for like just an enjoyable sour allagash ipas you know there's a bunch of breweries that you know i, I can't choose one of those and then you talk barrel aged stouts and importers and stuff like that then you talk about like your three floyds dark lords you know you know uh bottle logic out of california they're always great and then you like the the you know some florida breweries cycle cigar city i mean 
there's so many breweries that just specialize and have their own niche where it's kind of hard to choose a favorite one overall for me. It's kind of like a favorite one for style is kind of where I always fair lean enough. towards. Okay, fair enough. No pressure then, PJ. No, no one's going <laughs> to donk you for anything. Okay, now Doug. Uh, my favorite brewery is uh, Society out of San Diego, California. Uh, they've been around for, it'll be nine years this summer. A uh, couple of great guys started that brewery and they don't make a single bad beer. They make amazing IPAs. They make crushable, clean, tasty lagers. Uh, they have a nice wild ale program where they're just crushing it with that too. And their Imperial Stout Butcher is probably one of the best I've ever had. So it's kind of hard. Like they don't make a bad beer. They don't know how to make bad mm-hmm. beer. Uh, so just all around. And they're great people too. They give back to the community. They're always very involved with the brewing community as well as charity work. So just great guys. Uh, but my favorite beer all around is Orval uh, out of Belgium. It's a bunch of monks. They only make one kind of beer, <laughs> but it is the best beer hands down overall. You get a nice, uh, you get an aged bottle. It'll have a nice funk to it. Mm. Effervescent, very tasty. But if you go to the brewery, get the beer fresh. It's very hoppy when it's fresh. So it's crazy how it changes. You get a nice fresh bottle. It's nice, nice hoppy pale ale. And then it, turns into this nice funky tart awesome beer i can't i'm so glad we're recording this on a friday because soon it will be socially acceptable to drink beer and i am like pumped after talking with all of you guys about beer for an hour and some change to to have a beer because oh man i'm now thirsty all right so a few more questions i know you create a ton of beers at 603 and i mean you don't stop i don't know when you sleep what are the internal decisions that are like need to be made in order to create a new beer? I, oh, you, if anyone could see Dan's face right now, he was like, how much time do we have? Um, it, it's, yeah, uh, you know, the industry is kind of, what have you brewed for me lately? So we're always kind of coming up with new fun stuff all the time. But yeah, what people don't realize is the mountain of work that goes behind releasing a beer. Mm-hmm. And you have the whole creative recipe side of things, you know, where Doug is focusing on. PJ is trying to figure out where that beer fits in the market. Our marketing department is working with our graphics design team to, you know, develop names and develop, you know, lo- because everything has custom art that we do. Um, there is there is a monstrous amount of work that goes behind releasing a beer, especially one for us that's going to go out to distribution. You know, it's not like we're just registering it right inside for, for direct sale inside of our, our brewery, but we're shipping it out the door. Um, so now you're registering it, you know, and we 90 over 90 percent of our beer is sold right in New Hampshire. We sprinkle a little into mass um, and looking at some of the other neighboring states, but. So every state that you go to, you got to register the beer in that state too, and you know wait for their submission. And honestly, right now through COVID, it's been horrifically difficult mm. because the delays that we see in approvals have quadrupled from the standard timeframes. So it's just making it that much more difficult for us to produce product right Yikes. now. Yikes! Yikes! And does it? So when you brew, when you're thinking of a new beer, do you think of it like? that it might go in the tap room or do you always think like this is going out to, to distro and if, and we're obviously going to put it in the tap room. Like, is there a difference between the two when you're creating a beer? EJ, you want to take that? Yeah, I think, I think it's style dependent. I mean, um, we'll come up with ideas and, the, and then they'll, you know, I'll, they'll ask me like, PJ, do you, you think you can get this, you know, this will work out in market and depending on the time of year, it's like, yeah, maybe this, this would one would work, but let's wait a few months and let's aim this for a different release period. Or, and then there's just some beers that, you know what, depending on the market and the climate and what else is out there that, you know, maybe there's a similar style that I've seen that came in and it didn't really perform how I would expect. So I'm like, well, let's just try this in the beer hall first, see how ours, our, our, you know, our hand as it goes. And then based on that, we're like, okay, maybe we, when we rebrew it or if we rebrew it, then we look at sending it out to distribution. Um, but it's kind of a, a case by case basis. And, you, and that's, that's the, the interesting thing about beers. We kind of are at the behest of the market. Um, there's many beer styles that we would love to do for our personal enjoyment. Uh, unfortunately, our, our, our size of our brew house isn't scaled to just brew enough for us to just brew a beer for us to personally enjoy. We have to make sure that there's a few thousand other people that want to also enjoy the style. And some things, you know, we, we you know, we're working on right now, Doug just brewed a lager that's going to go uh, for our beer hall uh, exclusively. 
uh, just because right now, like I said, the craft market, there's a few breweries that have their niche on it in the, in the Northeast and the other breweries like, you know, uh, have tried their hand at craft lagers in this area and it, it didn't necessarily work uh, with selling those beers at stores and through distribution. So uh, it's kind of a case by case basis, but. Yeah, yeah. Yet, yet with the lager PJ was speaking about, yeah, we're brewing it for in-house because that will probably be our number one or number two beer all summer long in-house. But yet we can't distribute it. Yeah, and, and it, but it would be number one in our beer hall, but I, I, out in market, it would most likely just sit on shelves and collect dust. Mm. So right now, are you guys already forward thinking and brewing things and, con and conceptualizing things for summer? Oh, yes. And, and are you as far as fall? Uh, or do you... Oh yeah. 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 That's what I used to, I, people just don't realize how long it takes to get to product probably. And like, they think, Oh, you know, they're just going to ferment it for a week or two and boom magic. We're, you know? we're, we're always standing uh, staring at calendars for releases and, you know, wiping beers off and adding new ones. But, you know, I think we have, you know, a, a good meeting every year where we try to say and try to develop a plan and say, Hey, these are some, some concepts that we've got what's what's the you know the appropriate time to release them and then you know it doesn't matter if you list 50 things for the year you might come back and wipe off all of them and do none of them uh because mm. you've come up with other ideas or seen other trends happening or other you know you just you, you don't know when inspiration is going to hit so you know we might doug might say i want to brew x style beer in november and then come september where we're talking about the you know branding and registration for that he's like never mind i have a really good idea and this is what i'm going to try to do now and we're like yes way better idea let's do that and it's not you know and then we're like well, let's put that one off till next march next march yeah. comes around you're like do we do it now or like eh, maybe may so yeah. it's a, a constant it's a constant just like uh just miss you know mix and match and place things around so yeah that's awesome so i think we need to talk about the um big unicorn in the room better known as spike seltzer so <laughs> how do we feel about it i mean full disclosure i love cider I am not opposed to a spike seltz in the summer when it's super hot. Um, some taste way better than others and some taste like dirty toilet water. So one, how do you make a good spike seltzer? And two, do you see it going anywhere in 2021 or is it only going to get bigger? Because it feels like every brewery right now is starting to do a main like mainstay of spike seltzer and like, doing the variety packs and everything else. Um, let's see, to answer question number one, how do you make a great spike seltzer? I'm not gonna tell you. Uh, so let's just jump to number two. <laughs> nice one, Dan, nice one. Um, I, it's funny because I actually developed the seltzer about three years ago, um, but there wasn't a, there really? was a market Longer, before. four years ago now. Oh, almost yeah. four years now. I was. I started working on a, yeah, it was just, it was a concept that we- You were reminiscing about college days, drinking we were, Zima, we, and we you're were like, yeah. We were way ahead of the curve, but um, <laughs> yeah. decided not to pursue the project. So kind of just shelved it. And then um, when PJ just basically browbeat me for an entire year, we needed to put something <laughs> like this out on the market before it really takes off. And um, we did it. Um, I think because we have a pretty unique way of making it, and I think that is helps separate us from the pack. But that yeah. being said, if we didn't have that product in 2020 going, it basically saved us. Wow. It, sa it saved the business going through the COVID wow. downturn um, and kept people employed. Uh, and honestly, the guys in the brewery, they're, they're beer guys. So they were a little hesitant at first um to be part of it and to really buy into it but when they saw what it was doing to basically save everyone's job at that point um it made sense and we are proud of the product that we put out we think it tastes fantastic it's really uh, good and I, I think it's one of the only yeah. ones i enjoy drinking Thanks. full disclosure because a lot of them taste like you almost have to pound one or two yeah and then the you're like one, oh, okay you basically got to burn like, your palate out first and then they'll, then they'll yeah. kind of taste okay 100%, after that but no yeah. we, we went with a very delicate yeah. flavor profile I'm, I'm extremely sensitive to fake flavors so we wanted to make sure it was mm. subtle but tasted like real fruit and i think i think we saw the organic need for it uh not only within our employees and our staff but also in our beer hall i mean uh, speaking for myself, I was going through a super health conscious phase that, you know, drinking, you know, double IPAs, it'll clock in at 280 calories. I just can't drink those all the time. So the options of, you know, having a 5%, 100 calorie, low carb, uh, 
you know, uh, beverage was, was really, really appealing. And I think there were some other people on the staff that also felt the same way. Like, Hey, you know, it's summer. I need to look good on the beach. So give me something a little bit low cal. And also the palate fatigue, I think from all these super high, we talk about all the different flavors that you incorporate into beer. Now it just kind of, after a while, you're like, I can't drink anything that's got, you know, cucumbers and, 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 and dill flavored hops in it. Or, you know, like, uh, you know, an IPA that's got, you know, 150 pounds per barrel of hops because we just want it to be murky sludge. It's kind of like, it's just nice. It's clean. It's a little health conscious. So you can feel good while still catching a buzz. Um, and I think that, you know, it came about organically uh, for us. And I think that was the, the big thing. And then again, I saw what it was doing in the market and the, and the opportunity there. So that's where the brow beating of Dink uh, commenced. <laughs> and I was like, come on, let's just lay this out. And I think because of Dan's work uh, years previously on it, we were able to build the branding for it. And really, uh, I was looking at my notes the other day in my book that I keep, and I was kind of like, we were able to concept flavors, profiles, and launch in market in less than six months, uh, which was wow. uh, which was pretty unbelievable. And if you have to think of the production for not only the graphic design, which is, you know, our graphic designer came out at us with 13 different brandings for it, just to choose from like, which one looks like the right one. So that was a process, but that then getting in, you know, the, the labels made the, tw the nine, cause the nine packs printed, uh, we had to get the, the nine pack that we used is all custom. Nobody was using that. So we had to find it, kind of find something that would work, give it to a cardboard manufacturer, have them create it. And the same thing goes into the boxes that these, that holds these two nine packs for the case. There wasn't one similar. So our, we had to find a manufacturer that could design this die cut for the cardboard boxes that we ship it out. in. so there was a lot of work that went into it and we were wow. able to just kind of hammer it out because luckily Dan had already had the research done on the flavoring um, that we, that we were looking to go for. So it was, a, that's incredible. Yeah. Wow. So I know we only have a few minutes left. How, how do our friends find you? Google. How does everyone find you? Yeah, Google, what, what's your website? Where are you guys located? Where can they buy your beer? How can they find you? Uh, you can, so 603brewery.com is always a great way to start. Uh, it gives us our address uh, of where we're located. It also has a beer finder on our website. So you can go and type in your zip code and set a mile radius, whether it's 5, 10, 15, 25 miles away from you. And it'll tell you stores and what they've, what, you know, where we're available. And it also specifies what products they carry of ours. Um, so it all ties into a reporting software that we use to track our sales. Um, but other than that, I mean, you know, 603 Brewery on Instagram, uh, Facebook, Twitter, uh, we're kind of everywhere. And again, Google, I mean, when all else fails, type it into the Google, the Google box and it just, put, we pop, Google machine. It, it just get in your car, type in the Google and you'll, you'll end yeah, up the, at our front the, door. The brewery itself, um, I love it. like we mentioned at the beginning is located in Londonderry, New Hampshire, which is, uh, exit four off 93. Mm -hmm. So it's not far from the border. We're about 45 minutes north of Boston and about 20 minutes south of Concord, New Hampshire. Um, so we do get we get a lot of Massachusetts uh, traffic up there. But, you know, we, we created this pretty awesome beer hall, which was a dream of ours. And uh, it's got a huge outdoor patio. It's got big roll up, you know, glass doors. We've got an outdoor bar and televisions there, too. Um, we are so looking forward to so having awesome. a summer without, you know, COVID beating us down. Ditto. Ditto. Well, you guys actually, and I absolutely love your igloos, that you have some really cool things that are keeping people safe and still able to visit yeah. with the igloos, the social distancing. I think you guys did it. You did it right. Will you keep the igloos for next winter too? Um, yeah, I actually started the igloos last year. Oh my um, God. Dan, you're ahead of the curve with a lot of, of stuff, buddy. So I, I, I taught most of New England how to do igloos last year. So I I had my phone ringing off the hook all year uh, with people trying to figure out how to do these things, but I'm happy to share, you know, what we figured That's out. That's awesome. But every, That's every igloo has its own LED lighting packet, mm -hmm. it's got a heater, it's got a HEPA um, air purifier in it and it's reservations. And then in between reservations, we have a third party cleaning company that comes in and sanitizes the whole thing. Damn. So I don't know if I'm making any money, but <laughs> <laughs> people are able to come out and have a beer uh, and feel safe. And, um, We've gotten a lot of great feedback from people saying that they feel comfortable coming, even though you know, awesome. we're, we're in this kind of scenario. But, yeah, ditto. I can't wait to come up. Yeah, we, so we want to have, we want to host you. We want to host anyone in the New England area. Please make it a destination to come by. There's a, uh, there's, there's a 100%. lot. percent. I have one last question for all of you. You can take your time answering it. If COVID wasn't a thing and money was no option, 
where would you travel to and what would you eat or drink? It's mine, mine's easy. I would travel to the, I, I would travel okay. to the nearest bar <laughs> and have a conversation with a stranger. And I really don't care what the hell I was drinking at that point. I just want to I be love there. it. I gotta hear you. I, uh, I would be in Vegas. That's the first place I'll go is Vegas. Um, that's kind of my home away from home. Vegas and Alaska are my two spots that I like to go to. Um, what I would eat if I was in Vegas, Gordon Ramsay Steakhouse. I would get his, I would probably get his, um, oh, now I'm blanking on it. It's just kind of his signature dish, a beef Wellington. And he's got these, uh, mm-hmm. he's got these truffle butters. I mean, that's, the place is over the top. Uh, good nod to Guy Fieri's and uh, his turkey burger out in Vegas. And if I was in Alaska, a sockeye salmon fish and chips. Ooh. Done. Done. Dougie. Doug. Well, we did have a trip planned to Italy uh, last March, but that got canceled. Would like to go back or actually check it out. Mm-hmm. But now that it's been a couple of years, uh, really miss France, Paris especially. So mm-hmm. I think we'd go back there so I can eat as much cheese as I possibly can before I explode. <laughs> Uh, every time we go, we eat just constant cheese. At least lunch is just cheese only. Uh, yeah. I think we smuggled back maybe 15 oh types of cheeses and our bag smelled so bad in the best way possible. Uh, oh my God. <laughs> so I would just go back there, eat all the cheeses possible and just drink Bordeaux when it's only like three to five euros for an amazing bottle of Bordeaux. Yeah. And there's no open container law. So you just go walk around the park drinking wine, eating cheese. Oh. Best thing ever. Totally. Well, guys, thank you so, so, so much for coming on the podcast. It was an absolute pleasure to have you all. And everyone, please, please go to 603 Brewery. If you're local in New England, if you're not, come here, make it a destination and cruise up 93. Super easy to do. So guys, thank you. Thank you. Thanks, Elizabeth. Thank you. I'll see you later. Oh, thank you guys so much. Big thank you to my friends at the 603 Brewery. It was such a pleasure to talk to you guys. If you're in the area, I highly recommend checking them out. Like I said, they're doing so many things to keep us safe during COVID, including some outdoor igloos that you can make a reservation for. I know I'm going to do it soon. (sighs) Thank you for all of your questions. Thank you for listening. As always, find me on Let's Go on a Food Adventure on Instagram, my website, elizabethrfuller.com for the show notes, and email me. With all of your questions, send me a voice memo. I'll put you on the podcast. The email is let's go on a food adventure at gmail.com. Please be safe, lead with kindness, show each other some love, and I'll see you next week. Bye, guys.